This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Hey, good morning, everybody in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to Baseball Outside the Box. I'm your host, Pete Caliendo. Thanks for joining us today. And as always, we want to thank all of you in the U.S. and around the world for spreading the show. We're in over 100 countries, and we have coaches, players, and parents listening to us, and we really appreciate it. Also, we're on Facebook Live, YouTube, and we LinkedIn, Twitter. We're all over the place live. We will also be on ESPN Audio, ESPN Honolulu. Thank you, everybody. Aloha. And also, don't forget, BaseballSideTheBox.com. Um, we'll have the audio there up tomorrow. So folks, hey, we have a special guest today, another one. We got some great ones, and this is going to be a fantastic show, I guarantee you, because right now we're going to introduce to you our special guest, Ted Barrett, Major League umpire. He started in 1994 when he debuted. You know, the background he has is incredible. Um, I'm going to talk about his, uh, the athlete he was when he was younger, um, but he's umpired perfect games, no hitters, crew, he's been the crew chief, he's been the all-star game, he's the only umpire that worked three perfect games, but get this, only in the history as an umpire, umpired two perfect games to be at home play, could you imagine that, I mean, talk about pressure, he's also umpired the World Baseball Classic 2009, 13, and 17, hey, Greg Maddox, 300th win behind the plate, I mean, that's just a few things, but let me welcome our guest today, Ted Barrett, what's up, buddy? Hey, buddy, how you doing? So glad to be with you. It's good to see you again. Yeah, last time, you know, I had the great pleasure, and I say it really well because it's such an honor to work with professional people, professional umpires. When I got a chance to work with you at the World Baseball Classic, that was outstanding. I loved it. And that was the last time I saw you, man. Yeah, I think so. I've seen you on the podcast a few times, but uh, yeah, seen you in person. What a great venue that was, too. We were out there in Korea, and what a great, uh, great country that was. Good time. You know, it's great to see um, Major League umpires. It's great to see um, professionals in the game, you know, players that really love the international part of the game, you know, because, you know, you guys are busy. You got 162 or 65 games, whatever it is. You got you got spring training, you got all this stuff. But yet then you take the time to go to a World Baseball Classic and do that. You know, since we're, we're talking about that, talk about your experience there. Why, why would you do that when you've done everything else in, as an umpire? There, oh, you froze on me a second there, Pete, but sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Hey, I'm just curious. You know, I love that, you know, Major League umpires are part of the World Baseball Classic. You've got players that participate. Um, but, you know, you guys have a, a strenuous schedule. Talk about spring training and all these Major League games you have. And all of a sudden you take the time to go overseas and do this. Why would you do that? Why not relax? What, what's so special about working something like the World Baseball Classic? Well, uh, like you, uh, I love to travel, and uh, I think the sport of baseball is awesome because it's the international language, right? And, uh, man, the, the, the first WBC got to go to Mexico City, and then uh, we went uh, to uh, – yeah, we've been to Korea. We've been to um, – uh, forget where the other one – oh, I stayed – I signed up for the WBC to travel, and I did the one in San Francisco, which oh, yeah. was fun anyway. Um, but 
any chance I get to go over and see another country and, and, and experience another culture, man, I'm in. And, and you're right. We do have a strenuous schedule. Sometimes in the winter, you just want to, the last thing you want to do is go get it on an airplane. But for me, I really want to uh, experience as much as I can. And, and I'm sure we'll get to it later, but I love going to different countries and, and uh, doing different work, but getting to go over an umpire, uh, that's pretty special. You know, you talk about all the things as you were reading the beginning, uh, a lot of the cool things that I've been able to experience on the field. Definitely the travel is one of the best. Uh, 2004, I got to do the all-star series with uh, when the U.S. team went over to Japan. Wow. And we, went to, we went to five or six different Japanese cities and and that was so much fun and uh, just traveling around and experiencing the country. And they were such great hosts, as you know, you do these WBC events and they'll just roll out the red carpet for you. Uh, they put their best foot forward. So, man, we're getting the, the ultimate experience. And it's, it's just it's 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 awesome. And um, I get why some guys don't want to do it. They don't want to travel. Uh, but for me, any chance I get, uh, I'm there. You know, it's great to hear that. And I remember the, you know, the Michael Jordan story. And, folks, I'm looking down in uh, Facebook. If you got any questions, what a great time to ask a major league umpire questions. Um, obviously, there's some things that Ted can't answer and some that he can't. Um, we'll be honest with you about that. But, you know, the other part I want to mention, we're going to talk about later, folks. Listen, Ted is also heavily involved in the Christian ministries. He's got a master's degree in biblical studies Christian college and the seminary and a doctorate in theology. We're going to get into that because he travels to Cuba quite a bit. Um, and I want to talk about that. But if you got any questions, just type them in the comments section. That's why I'm looking down, uh, folks. I'm not being rude to our guest. You know, sometimes people think, oh, what's he doing? You know, he's not paying attention. But I do pay attention. I do listen. Listening skills are critical. Hey, Ted, listen, I I'm sure one of the things, you know, I umpired 14 years at Mickey Own Baseball School, obviously not at your level. Um, but I got a chance to work with professional umpires and I've got a lot of respect for umpires as a manager in baseball also. And as a coach, um, interesting, you know, when you talk about when you were a young kid, I heard you were a three sport athlete, but talk about how you grew up and how you kind of got, when did you want to be an umpire? when did you start thinking about that? Yeah, you know, I did. I played a lot of sports growing up, just like you, uh, you know, football, basketball, baseball, boxing, anything, I can get out there and play and had a ball or didn't have a ball. Uh, I just loved playing sports. Um, and then when I was 14, my friend had gone to uh, the little league and, and gone through an umpiring class and uh, the season got going along and they had a shortage of umpires just like now. And he said, Hey, do you want to come out and umpire? I said, yeah, I'll give it a shot. That sounds like fun. Um, and umpiring is one of those things when you get out there and you know, you've done it, uh, but you either love it or you hate it. Yep. And uh, I loved it. I, I thought it was great, but I wasn't ready just to do just umpire. I was still playing. And so uh, I would continue to play and then do little league games. And, uh, and I grew up in Buffalo, New York. And when I moved to California, you know, they were playing baseball year round out there. So um, and then when I was in college, I played football at Cal State Hayward uh, Division Two school oh. up in Northern California, which is Cal State East Bay now. Um, and my dad told me to get a job. He got tired of paying for my gas and my, uh, my insurance and my car. So uh, I said, you know, I've done a little bit of umpiring. So I got into a high school group and they were paying, uh, you know, 50 some dollars a game. This is the mid 80s. I do two, three games a week. That was uh, that was all the money I needed. A college kid needed. Right. Uh, my buddies were flipping burgers and, and working in stores. And um, I'm outside in the fresh air uh, umpiring high school baseball. And uh, great high school baseball. And um, that's how I, I caught the bug. And then 
from there, when I graduated from college, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was boxing at this time. And, um, my, uh, my dad, uh, he offered to pay for me to go to umpire school. And I thought, Hey, this would be a nice little five week break. I'll go out to Florida and have some fun. Um, met a couple guys that were minor league umpires. They, they gave me some advice on where to go to school. I went to the Joe Brinkman professional umpire school in Cocoa, Florida. And I uh, was lucky enough to qualify for a job and went to the minor leagues. And, and uh, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Awesome. And, you know, I was thinking about when you're talking about, you know, umpiring starting young. Talk about why would you let, let's say you're talking to young kids, you know, and obviously they may be playing baseball and then maybe they decide not to. Why, why would a young kid, because I started young, and why, why would he, and I'm with you, I love umpiring. I mean, it was a passion. I, you know, I couldn't wait to do it. So I know you got to love it, but you also have to start doing it to see if you like it or not. Why, why would you encourage young people to be umpires at a young age? Yeah, I think, I think kids uh, 15, 16 years old, I think they should all give it a try um, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, number one, I think it's going to make you a better player. The, the better, the more you know the rules. Uh, you know, if you're a catcher, you're you're trying to present the ball the way an umpire likes. If you're a pitcher, um, how do you, you you talk to an umpire? He'll give you uh, some great advice on on pitching. Um, and again, just the basic knowledge of the rules. But also, now as a 16 year old kid, I think having the responsibility of running a ball game, being on the field, uh, keeping kids safe conflict management, all these skills that, that go into life. You know, one of the great things I loved about playing football um, as a young man is, is, is you get out of the game and you get into life, it translates into so many things, right? The discipline, the practice, the execution. But I think umpiring uh, would translate to a lot of skills for a young person to learn. Um, and, and not even to do it for, if you don't want to do it for a living or you don't want to continue, I think just the, the basic interaction with parents or right? how many 16 year old kids are, are having an argument with a grown man mm. um, and learn how to do that and how to communicate effectively, maybe how to diffuse a, an argument. Um, what great life skills a kid can learn. And um, yeah. It, you, and then again, just for the money, um, you know, if you're 16 years old, you're trying to get a job, uh, you get into college. Um, it's tough to work, a, a, find a good job that you like um, nothing against the people that work in, the restaurant industry or, or anything else uh it's hard work and, and, and uh, it's those are good jobs and people are lucky to have them but there's something about being outside on a diamond and learning a craft that uh i, I just think every kid should try it um at least to see how they like it and there's other sports too right there's basketball there's there's um, mm -hmm. hockey there's all kind of sports you can try and, and there's such a shortage of officials uh that, that they'd be happy to put you to work Hey, before I get to the to another thing I want to talk about, you know, I want to just mention because he may be off here in a little bit. Tim Leeper, a good friend, former uh, uh, Toronto Blue Jays first base coach, um, says hello. And, you know, it's great because it's great to get comments because he says you're an awesome umpire and a great gentleman. Um, so I don't know if you remember Tim, but he was the first base coach with the with the Blue Jays. Oh, I sure do. And, and we really all the umpires, we really enjoyed when we had the Blue Jays. One of the cool things about that was working first base because you get to chat with Tim a little bit. Yeah. And uh, just such a great baseball guy and, uh, and a very good man. And um, just love talking to him. Not, you know, not just about baseball, but about life, about, you know, raising kids and and uh, being in the game. And so, uh, yeah, well, I'm, we missed him. Hope he gets back out there sometime. Yeah, he's a good one, man. He's going to be back in the big leagues. Tim, uh, thanks for jumping on the show here on Facebook. Appreciate it. Real good 
friend. He does a lot of uh, stuff for us with ISG baseball, travels around the world and shares his time with coaches. You know, you mentioned conflicts. Um, I got to ask you because, you know, times change, right? So umpires are trained in conflicts. Um, Talk about what you were trained when you first started. Has that training changed? Because the game seems to change also. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question because it definitely, um, when I went to umpire school, it was 1989. And things were a lot different, right? Um, Yep. Not just in the game, but in society in general. So we were taught how to how to uh, manage conflict and arguments. And, and here we are in 2021. And, you know, one thing that replay's done is there aren't too many arguments anymore uh, on the basis, except for, you know. Um, That's true. You know, it seems like now the conflict comes when they, there's a controversial replay decision, um, which, you know, when, when I first came up, we, we never were trained how to handle that. So these are mm-hmm. all things we're learning on the fly. But, you know, it, it used to be a young umpire uh, working the bases would have a close play, uh, the manager would come out, and that's kind of uh, how an umpire would make his bones a little bit. How did he handle the argument? How did he handle the conflict? Uh, how did he handle the perceived missed call? Um, all these things played into. But now, as as you a young umpire gets to the big leagues, the only conflict he's going to have is probably over balls and strikes or or, or a replay decision. Um, so it's definitely changed. You don't see too many, uh, um, you know, the picture of uh, Lloyd McClendon or Lou Pinello pulling out a base. And, right. You know, Lloyd took it back to the dugout with him. Lou would try to throw it as far as he could. Uh, you know, those don't happen as much anymore. And, you know, that might uh, take away from the entertainment value a little bit. But, um, you know, it's definitely a lot of it's changed for the better. And uh, some of it, you know, we could use some of the old fashioned rhubarbs too. But uh, it's definitely changed. Yeah, there were some fun times, I guess, with, you know, with managers' arguments and all that. Um, you know, I got to ask you because, you know, sometimes you've, you've heard, whether it's fans or whether it's players or coaches, sometimes they'll say, well, umpires, in, in, in the old days, let's say, not with instant replay, but, you know, umpires had short fuses or, you know, they, 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 they look for an argument. I mean, I would think you'd try to defuse the argument first, but then are there times where, you know, hey, wait a second, they might have said something and that's time to stop. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum, right, where there's just one argument. Sometimes it's carryover from uh, something that's been happening for innings uh, or, or, you know, um, you know, things can carry over to uh, previous games, although as umpires we try to forget and every game's a new game. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely, uh, you know, sometimes you'll hear an announcer say, oh, he's got a – this guy's got a short fuse. Well, there are certain automatic words that are going to get you ejected. Mm-hmm. And the players know that, especially by the time they get to the big leagues. But pretty much anything that's uh, is preceded by you, uh, like you know, you or your, you're terrible, uh, you're blind, um, your horse crap. You know, we'll keep this PG, but um, yes, it's, uh, <laughs> um, those type of things that'll get you automatically ejected, no questions asked. Uh, other than you know, you might say, hey, that was a, a terrible call, um, and and you know that might not be an automatic ejection. But then, you know, you're terrible. That's an automatic one. But then even if you, mm-hmm. hey, that was a terrible call, you know, you have your say and then head back to the dugout. But if you want to keep it going, and now I'm going to give you a warning and say, hey, that's enough. Let's go. Um, then you're going to keep it going. You, you bet you're going to get ejected. You just can't let people stand out there and argue with you all day, right? Uh, so there's parameters. There's lines drawn. Uh, the players know them. Um, most of the time when a player gets ejected, even though he acts shocked, uh, he, he knew he was uh, – was probably going to get ejected there. So, um, 
again, especially at the big league level, these guys came to the minor leagues just like we did. Uh, and, you know, the minor leagues, there's so much conflict every night. You know, in rookie ball and eight ball, you're working two man. You've got to play one night and the base is the next. And so a lot of times you've got you've got misplays because it's just hard to cover an entire professional baseball game with two people. Uh, and so you do have arguments and you have conflicts and you have ejections. So, um, you know, and then you get to the big leagues and it's a bigger stage and you're under more of a microscope. Um, but we definitely we, we learn our craft in the minor leagues and then take it to the big leagues and try to perfect it. Well, I love what you said earlier about your know, young kids getting an umpire because it teaches so much life skills, as does the game of baseball. Um, but also, um, you know, as, as I'm thinking here, I was thinking about, you know, I would think, and folks, I know you got comments. That if you got any questions on Facebook, here we go. Major League Umpire. Are you kidding? Todd Barrett, this is a great time to ask a question you have about Major League Umpires. Here, here's the part I want to ask because um, you have to use some common sense, too, throughout these games. I mean, there could be a regular season game, but it could be a playoff game, a World Series, a pressure game. Um, that might change when it comes to an ejection, doesn't it? I mean, you might be a little bit more patient in some ways with a more high-profile game. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, we definitely uh, – you've got high-profile games, uh, you know, World Series games. Uh, we, we don't want a, a player getting ejected um, for something frivolous. Uh, before the game, we even tell the managers, hey, if there's a – you know, help us out here, try and keep guys in the game. But, we're mm -hmm. again, we're not going to allow them to uh, – to run over us. We're not going to allow them to, um, you know, say something of the magic words. Uh, there have been ejection, ejections in World Series games. Uh, sure. It's unfortunate because you want the players to decide it. You want the managers to decide the game. We don't want to be a part of it. Believe me, when we walk out on the field, we're not looking to eject anybody. But, you know, sometimes players eject themselves. Uh, this the saying we have in umpiring. Um, and, uh, you know, just by virtue of wearing the uniform, uh, we have we have to uh, abide by that and we have to uh, uh, make sure that we enforce the rules evenly. Um, and but, yeah, with we understand in the higher pressure games, emotions run high. We'll definitely try to diffuse first before we have to eject somebody. And, uh, you know, the, the World Series I've been involved with, the players have been they've been good with that. They know the importance of staying in the game. And luckily, we haven't had to eject too many. Ed, I'm sure you've had many managers throughout your career come out and you know, some great managers that you've had, obviously, um, on teams come out, you know, and you expect them to argue something, but yet they're doing something else, maybe something funny or maybe they're just trying to stick up with their players, but they're really not talking about that. Is there any interesting stories there? Yeah, you know, that happens more than people think, you know, a lot yeah. of times it's uh, <laughs> they're like, wow, look at the managers really giving it to that umpire. Um but the manager also sometimes knows, uh, you know, when to when to take a stand, when not to take a stand. And um, you know, one of the, one of my favorite ones that happened in that situation was Jim Tracy. You remember a great manager oh, sure. with the, the Pirates and the Rockies, and uh, this he was with the Dodgers. Um, and uh, this particular game was working the plate in Dodger Stadium, and I had to play at the plate. And I think Laduca was the catcher, and uh, you know, he thought he had tagged him out. I called the guy safe. Of course, this is before replay little bit of argument with the catcher and you know, Tracy came out and he was good about it went back to the dugout well wouldn't you know a couple innings later got another play at the plate called him safe Laduca now is is incensed uh and and, and so Jim Tracy runs out of the dugout uh being a good manager keeping his catcher from getting ejected he takes on the argument and he tells me he says you know Ted where I was sitting in the dugout I had the perfect angle for both those plays and I could see you've got them both right 
you know, and he's he's being animated with his hands and everybody's thinking, boy, he's really giving it to Ted. And yeah. then he says, uh, but I, I don't want my catcher getting ejected and I'm going to get ejected. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw my hat and then you're going to throw me out. And I said, OK, Jim, that's what you want to do. So um, he throws his hat down. He, he kind of uh, mutters and curses a little bit. And uh, so I eject him. And as he turns to go back to the dugout, he tried to kick the chalk line and uh, kind of kick some chalk up at me. And uh, but he kind of had a misfire and stuck his foot in the ground. So he hobbled back to the dugout. Well, the next day, and this is what I love about guys like Pinella and, and Bobby Cox and, and Jim Tracy and the old school guys, they, they just forgot about it the next day like it never happened. Uh, mm. So Jim comes um, limping up to the plate the next day and he said, see, that's what I get for trying to kick chalk at you, Ted. He said, I broke my toe. Oh, so. <laughs> So I broke but, the you know, but, and he was nice yeah. to you. Yes, he was. Uh, and he's a, he was a class man. Um, and that's one of my favorites. Another one is I remember Terry Collins was great manager, was managing the um, the Angels. And, uh, you know, he came out one day, uh, I think I had to play at first, and he just said, you know what, Ted, I've had enough. My team's playing terrible. My, my coaching staff's not coaching. Well, I'm terrible. Uh, I'm done. You just got to throw me out, and I'm going to blow up some steam here. And um you know as he was going he was saying some things and i i started laughing i started smirking he got my face he said, don't you laugh you wipe that smile off your face because they're gonna know what i'm doing out here i wanted to think that i'm really giving it to you so yeah awesome see that that's the kind of stuff that's the kind of stuff that fans you know don't don't hear and they got to wonder what happens you know i think everybody thinks that they're you know you're always serious and everything's all serious on the field all the time there's some fun going on between players and umpires um Ted, okay, it takes talent to be an umpire at the big league level, minor league level. You got to obviously work your way up. Now, here's what's interesting. One, you're a three-sport athlete. Two, you're also a pretty big guy. Three, you're a boxer. Four, here you are. You got your doctorate in theology. You know, you're involved in Christian ministries. I got to believe all that has to help as an umpire. First of all, I most of the guys know that you're in ministry. So I would assume, you know, the swear words are to a limit in some ways. Boxing, I'd be, I'd be worried about, you know, the boxing part. Um, how much does that take effect as an umpire with the skills that you have along with all these other things? How much does that help? I think, uh, I think it helps a lot, you know, um, with the boxing, especially when I was younger as the, you know, the guys that uh, when I first came up, I think they respected the fact that, you know, that I boxed at a high level and, um, and, and they love to talk boxing. That's another thing. A lot of people say, Hey, what was the third baseman talking to you about? I, we were talking about boxing. Um, you know, Joey Votto, the first baseman with the Reds, he, he, man, he, he knows a ton about, he knows more about boxing than I do. So we'll get together and talk about the fighters and, and the guys that he likes and what he's been watching. Um, and, and also, you know, with the, it's funny you mentioned in ministry with the <laughs> the guys, the catchers, a lot of them, they won't swear around me, which is funny. Mm -hmm. Once in a while, I got to let a cuss word slip out. Oh, sorry, Ted. And, um, <laughs> I just, I kind of <laughs> chuckled because, uh, you know, it's, it, and, and it's respect. I appreciate that. Other yeah. guys, you know, the, you know, will Sunday, you know, baseball chapel will come in the locker room. They'll go to the home team, the visiting team, and then uh, come to us and the umpires and they do a great job of reaching out to us, but we'll be out on the, on the field and, I might be playing second base in the second baseman said, Hey, what'd you think about that message today in chapel? And the next thing you know, we're out there talking about uh, theology or, you know, the book uh -huh. of John. And, um, you know, it's, 
it's funny because I think a lot of people, if they, if they, uh, sometimes we have microphones on us, but if they really knew the conversations we were having, we're talking boxing, we're talking theology, you know, we're talking about the NFL game that was last week. Um, so in, uh, I think that helps because, you know, players realize that you're just an everyday guy, just mm-hmm. like them. Um, you know, we're all out there working together, trying to get things right. And here's something that people don't see. And I think this runs into um, watching the younger kids play. They might see a guy uh, snap, um, throws equipment, um, you know, get ejected, um, start busting up the dugout with their bat. Uh, what they don't see is either after the game or the next day, uh, that player will come out and, um, and he'll, he'll apologize. He'll say, hey, you know, sorry about yesterday. I was having a bad day. Um, took it out on you. Uh, the other thing they don't see is, is the umpires. Well, they'll, they'll accept that apology. Hey, man, don't worry about it. It's all good. Uh, today's a new day. We'll start over. Sometimes with an umpire, uh, we go back and look at pitches. And I might have called a strike on a guy. He argued. Um, we pretty much all go back when we get our um, results the next day. We'll look at the pitches. I might go back to a player and go, hey, you know what? You're right. That was a little bit outside. Um, there's a give and take. There's a there's a conversation that goes on. Um, you know, we're we're not as combative as people think. Uh, heat of the moment, sometimes it happens, but for the most part, everybody knows we're out there doing a job. There's mutual respect, and uh, it's forgot about. And again, like we're talking about the old managers, Lou Pinella. Uh, Lou Pinella would would you know he'd lose it out on the field sometimes. Uh, Bobby Cox, and the next day it's like nothing happened. Uh, you know, it's like. Um, here we are. We're punching the clock, going back to work again. You know, it's like the some of the older people remember the cartoon with the the, the coyote and the sheepdog. Yeah. Um, you know, they're out there, uh, you know, blowing each other up with TNT and everything. But then they're they're punching the clock and say, "Hey, have a good weekend, Fred." And we'll see you Monday. And that's kind of what we are with players and umpires. You know, it's great to hear that, and I love the human story behind it. Um, you know, I remember because you know, even as coaches, we say, "Well, you know, if you make if, if you make a mistake, admit it, and people will will understand it." I'm talking about making a mistake, you know, and letting your players know, "Hey, it was my fault. I made a, ma- a bad decision at that time," and people admit to it. But I remember even umpiring catcher would, you know, I call a strike or whatever, and he didn't like it, and you know, and I knew I missed it. Once in a while, I'd say, "You know, I missed it." What can they say, right? If you say I missed it. Now they can't argue anymore. Is that is that something that's okay to do, right? It is. You know, you, you don't want to use that as a crutch and say, I miss right. it every time just to get them from not arguing. And eventually a player is going to go, well, you know, quit missing it. You know, this is, right, this right. is the big leagues. We got to, <laughs> but, you know, there's there now with, uh, with replay, it helps because uh, if we do miss a call, it'll get, it'll get straightened out. And now the, you know, at the end of the day, as long as the call's correct, that's okay. And it's humbling for us. You know, sometimes we, We'll miss a call. We'll see it on the big screen with replay, but it's a good teaching tool too, because, okay, now what are we going to do to get it next time we get in position to get it right? But um, yeah, and once in a while, you just have to admit uh, when you watch a replay, you watch the pitch and you see, yeah, you know what, for whatever reason, um, I got that pitch wrong. Um, you know, it's all about accepting responsibility for our actions, right? And mm-hmm. I, again, that's why it's a great life skill uh, for yep. a young man or young woman to learn that growing up. We accept uh, responsibility for decisions we make, and then we move on and try to get better. Um, and sometimes the thing that people don't understand also is that um, working a major league game, uh, you have pitches come in, 
the pitcher, the, the, the pitcher will run down to the, to the video room and see where the pitch was. The, you know, the, the players have iPads in the dugout and mm-hmm. they can see where we're the only ones that don't know where the pitch was. Uh, we knew where it was in our mind. And so we really won't know until we get the results the next day. And a lot of times you open it up and say, yeah, hey, I got that pitch right. Um, but then other times you look at it and say, yeah, I was wrong on that one. And, um, you know, sometimes there's nothing that needs to be said. And sometimes they're, you know, you're, you're able to communicate with a guy. And, um, but that's, again, that goes toward uh, building up credibility with the players. They know you care about it. I think a lot of players get frustrated because they think we just call a game and then go about our business, mm. uh, you know, not caring what happened. And, and the opposite is true. Especially if we miss a call, man, nobody feels worse about it than we do. Um, we just absolutely. wear it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and what, what, what kind of what kind of skills? If, if somebody's getting an umpiring, um, what kind of skills? And obviously, you know, you, you talk about your size. Size has to help a little bit because of the intimidation factor, especially in the old days when you're arguing. But what kind of skills are major league umpires, supervisors looking for? Like when you go to an umpire school, what kind of skills are they looking at? So you can get better at them. And I'm assuming you you're working on enhancing those skills all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, when we see a guy uh, at umpire school, you know, the, the first thing we look at, how does he look in a uniform? Uh, mm-hmm. Right. Because it's, it's, it is about appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be in good shape, look good in your uniform. And then there's things you can do uh, to control that. Or you could shine your shoes, make sure your shirt's pressed, your slacks are pressed. Right. You know, it's like a pilot walking on a plane. Uh, he's got a, his uniform on, uh, you know, you see a, a, a soldier, a police officer, you know, they're looking sharp mm-hmm. coming out of boot camp. Um, we want our guys to look sharp like that. And uh, and then, again, being in good shape, you know, someone looks out there and sees you. They're like, um, OK, this guy's a uh, he's in good shape. He's he, he, he's his uh, uniform looks good. And so a guy hasn't even made a decision yet. And he's kind of getting judged a little bit. Um, and then from there, it's like. Uh, is he hustling? Is he working hard to get into position? Is he, um, um, you know, how's his body language? Uh, is, is he, does he look like he wants to be out there? Does he look like he wants to be somewhere else? Uh, and then we get into his, the, the mental part of it, his rules knowledge. Uh, they're going to take rules tests down at umpire school. And, you know, it's interesting if you gave a, a major league player, and you know this from coaching, you give him a, a rules test, he's not going to do really well. No. Um, I, mean, he, I mean, he could hit the heck out of a ball and, and, and throw a ball 100 miles an hour, but he might not know the actual rule, especially the tricky ones. Um, well, we, we know those inside out as umpires. And, um, you know, if a guy can – and then it's, it's an ongoing process. Like you said, we're always having to study. The rules don't change, but we might go two years without seeing, a, 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 you know, a goofy play, a fan interference mm-hmm. and obstruction. So we want to be prepared when that does happen. We can jump right on it and make the decision. Um, you know, another thing is that we look at a young umpire is like, is that a guy we would want to work with? Is he a stand-up guy? Is he is is he uh, is he honest with himself? Is he a good partner? Um, all these things come into play, and so um, there's just there's there's a lot of things that that umpires, uh, especially in the minor leagues, they need to separate themselves. And I always tell them they can do that by working hard, uh, by hustling, and by wanting to get better every day. Um, and, you know, to me, it's always like I always thought uh, I never want to take an inning off. Uh, I always want to be working hard because uh, that might be the day the supervisors there looking at me. Mm. And I'm, I decided not to work hard that day. Well, 
you know, there's so many things in baseball that you can't control, but there are things that you can control. And that's, that's working hard every day. And I think that goes for everybody on the field, whether you're the, the shortstop, the center fielder, uh, the catcher, the umpire, um, you, you, you want to uh, work hard, you want to improve and you want to make sure every pitch you're not taking it off. So um, I think the guys you see in the big leagues are the ones that came through years in the minor leagues of being scrutinized and they just continue to get better. And then once they get to the big leagues, it's like your career is starting over again from ground zero and you've got to continue to get better and improve. You know, I've always been amazed by umpires in general, how they can remember all the rules. I mean, um, I know you got you got to keep reading the rule book. You got to stay on top of it. You, you know, like you said, you know, you, you don't know when something's going to pop up, but there's so much. Um, I got to believe there's times, um, I think sometimes have changed on this. And I know instant replays kind of changed a lot of it. But, you know, in the old days, you might have a situation come up. And I, I'd like for you to discuss this a little bit, because when that situation comes up and the umpires sometimes get together to talk, I know it's not easy to change a something because you're making somebody look bad, possibly. Talk about that area, how you guys deal with that. Yeah, I think that's especially in the big leagues. You got four guys, and um, we just the bottom line is we want to get it right. Mm, that's the key. Some, yeah, and there's some things that you know replay uh, can't fix. Um, you know, there's some things that aren't reviewable. There's tough calls. You know, and you've been behind the plate umpiring, and you might get a ball uh, that chopped down, right? And the batter's going to hobble around. Uh, maybe you got hit in the foot, or maybe he's trying to deke you. Um, and you you really can't see that. You're kind of going on sound. Well, that, that play is not reviewable. And so um, sometimes on the bases, I might be at second base. I see the ball hit the guy's foot. Um, I can come up. I can help out there. I can call it foul. I can help my partner. Um, pole benders, uh, home runs to right to the pole, um, you know, be it first base or third base. You get the, did it, yeah, did it cross. Tough. Yeah. And, and, and also, and it's tough to see those on replay because of the camera angles. And so. Yep. Sometimes the second base umpire can see that better than the first base umpire, say, on a, on a right field pole bender. And so, uh, you know, the first base umpire is going to make the call. Uh, he's going to do his best to take all the information he gets to make the call. And sometimes uh, he might call a ball a home run, but it was, it was foul. And the second base umpire saw that. And the plate umpire saw that. Uh, now we're going to get together, all four of us. And, um, you know, uh, as a crew chief now, I'm going to be in the huddle and I'm going to say, okay, what do you got? And the first base umpire can say, Hey, I, I'm not positive about this. I had a home run, but um, I didn't see it that great. I lost it in the background. Uh, and the second base umpire can say, Hey, I saw it really well. I saw for sure that it was on the foul side of the ball and the plate umpire say, yes, I had a foul too. Okay. Now as a crew chief, these guys are sure we're going to change it. So we're going to come back. And, and at that point, forget about your ego yeah, because because getting it right is the most important thing. And also, if I'm the guy that missed it and, and my crew uh, can make it right, well, then at the end of the day, I'm happy. Um, you know, it's uh, you, you don't beat yourself up for missing it because those are really hard. Um, and, and sometimes you, you just lose the ball in the background or some parks are easier than others. There's uh, the lights are tough now. They're putting uh, LED lights in the, uh, in the fences. Mm. for advertisement and things like that and it's everybody loses the ball in the lights it happens players coaches um and uh, and then we do too so if our partners who are at a different angle can help out well that's great and then at the end of the day also you've got replay uh where 
our colleagues in New York can help us out too and, and, and get it right. And I think the key words there, and you said it perfectly, man, that is, you know, we just want, we want to get it right. That's all you want, especially at your level, because you know what? It is just a ball game. It happens, you know, at the younger levels, we tell young kids, look, it's out of your control. You make mistakes, umpires make mistakes. So let it go. It's over. You, you can't do anything about it. But at the big league level, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot of money at stake. There's, you know, everybody wants to get to the World Series. As you get to the playoffs, the pressure's even harder. Here you are. I mean, all the all the playoffs you work, the World Series behind the plate. Um, man, that pressure gets really high. How do you guys deal with, like, when I said earlier, we're talking about training, right? Obviously, the number one question is, You've got to have, I would assume that as you guys get going more and more into the game, your vision training has got to be critical as you get older, because you've got to train vision as baseball players do too. And we always say that's the number one thing to train. Number two is the mental part because of the pressure. Mm. Is there anything you do for those? Like, do you have any vision training you continue to do or any mental training to help you deal with all this? I mean, when you're behind the plate in the World Series, I mean, there's a lot at stake. How do you how do you train yourself to be ready for that? Yeah, you know, you just got to it's got to be uh, concentration. You've got to lock in and, and for that four, three, four, five, seven and a half hour games of his that work. Yeah, you've one had the seven. You've had the longest, right? Seven seven minute, hours and twenty minutes, I think it was, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that you know, in uh, 2018, in Game Three of the World Series. Yeah, but also had, you know, four hour. We went four hours in Atlanta uh, my last time. And uh, I think we went four nineteen in Colorado my first time. So, yeah, it's you know, you've got to concentrate that whole time. Um, obviously, between innings, you can kind of relax for a minute. But then when you know, when the pitcher is on the mound with the ball, it's got to be concentration. And um, that's so it's, it's helped me. I think with the, the boxing help me was be able to block out the external things. You know, when you're in the ring right. and you've got people in the corner and you've got fans in the stands. Uh, everything to bring it right here to what's in front of you. You know, you got punches coming at you. I don't know how the MMA guys do it because I had enough time, hard enough time trying to figure out what the guy's going to do is right and left hand. Yeah, then he's kicking. The MMA guys got feet and elbows and knees and everything else coming at him. And, Absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, it was hard enough with, with hands. And so um, I think it helped me just to concentrate on, you know, the what's going on with the pitcher, with the ball, with the pitch coming in. And, and we've got to lock our eyes in. We've got to, uh, you talked about vision training. We work hard on following the ball with our eyes without mm. moving our head. You know, you think about a camera, if the camera's moving, the pitcher's yeah. going to be blurry. So we lock that head in. Um, but then we want to move our eyes and follow the ball. You know, you're talking about a, a hundred mile an hour. That's another thing that's changed when I came up, you know, Greg Maddox was throwing 88. He was uh, just so completely accurate where he threw it. Um, but now these guys are all throwing 99, 100. You got starters throwing 100 in the fifth inning, which is crazy. But um, so you really, really got to concentrate and watch that ball all the way with your eyes. You know, I've, I've worked some World Series games where, um, you know, the season ended and then I went into the divisionals and uh, maybe the, the maybe uh, one time I had game four, I think, and it was a sweep. So now I'm in the World Series. I hadn't worked in a few weeks. Well, we'll get to a batting cage or, you know, we've done it here in the Arizona Fall League where we'll go out to, and, and watch guys throwing bullpens. Um, ah. We were in 2018. I worked with uh, Jim Reynolds and Kerwin Danley. We all lived in the same area. We went over to uh, Chandler Gilbert uh, Community College and uh, we, we had the junior college pitchers throwing and we're behind the catchers just so we can train our eyes to track the ball. So when we got back there uh, after having not, not worked the plate, 
uh, we were able to do that. And so it really, it's hard to practice that. Um, so that's why I love spring training because that's really our practice. And now my eyes are getting ready. Uh, my muscles that I haven't used uh, too much um, because, you know, there's, there's really no way to practice umpiring. We try to work out and, and stay in shape and lift weights. But then when you get out on the field, um, you're using different muscles. And so spring training is a great way to not only for our physical bodies to get ready, but also the eyes and the vision uh, training that and, and, and staying with the speed of a ball. You know, and I love the part about the boxing part, because, you know, so there we go. All this stuff that you did, multi-sport athlete you know, boxing, um, that had to help with your training. And the other part is the velocity, like you said, the increase in velocity. I'm amazed that, you know, at 101, 103, how you can see the ball. Um, and not only that, now we're talking about, a, you know, a curveball, then a slider, ball's moving constantly. Here's a question I've always had. And I know there's some guests out there that have asked this question before, because I've seen it on social media. I'd love to get your input on this. A guy's throwing a ball 100 miles an hour, and a guy takes a check swing, okay? First of all, you've got to see the ball, but how can you see the swing at the same time? Um, one, can you see it pretty good? And two, should we change something there? Should it be where, um, you know, the, let's say you call a strike, right? Because he swung. Should the, should the batter be able to appeal the first base to the umpire to help there? Um, you know, it's just a question because I'm always trying to think outside the box because, man, that's hard to make that call, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Check swings are one of the hardest things. And, and like we talked about, I really want to concentrate on locking my eyes in on that ball and following it all the way into yeah. the glove. Um, sometimes out of your peripheral vision, you can see what the bat does. Um, but really for me, it's like when the pitch is maybe in the dirt uh, where it's going to bounce or it's way over, uh, you know, my head and the catcher's head and he's having to reach up high to get it. I can give up on that pitch with my eyes because I know it's out of the zone. Um, uh, and, and at that point I could take my eyes to the bat. So, um, it's, we talk about this on our crew all the time as the plate umpire, you're not going to call it a swing unless you're sure it was the swing, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you saw it out of the peripheral and, and he went so far that there's no doubt, or, um, the pitch was in the dirt and you were able to take your eyes to the bat and you saw it really well. Then as the plate umpire, you're going to call it. If you didn't see it, um, we're not going to guess. We're going to say no and, and, and go to our uh, base umpires for help. So, you know, yeah, the rule is you can't check it unless uh, the plate umpire says no swing. Then you can appeal to the base umpire. But, um, yeah, as the plate umpire, if you do say he swung, there's no appeal. It's judgment final. Um, and so I want to make sure that I'm getting it right if I do that. Now, as the base umpire, you know, again, it's concentration. You've really got to lock in. on. The, I, I watched the head of the bat. And the other difficult thing about that is there's really no clear-cut interpretation on what a check swing is. So like, did he offer it the pitch? Well, did he offer it the pitch? It might be one thing for one guy, another thing for another. And so, you know, as umpires, we really tried hard to be consistent with that. Uh, so we're all calling the same thing. But, but it is very difficult. Um, so, you know, there's – especially trying to concentrate, like you said, I mean, on every pitch, because, you know, that one time, just like players, that one time you don't concentrate is when that ball's coming, you know, your area and you got to make the call and you don't want to be, you know, in that situation where you weren't ready for that call to make. An example would be the check swing, right? All of a sudden, you know, home plate umpire asks you and now you're not sure, but the fallback is if you're not sure, never call it a strike. Yeah, I mean, um, I've got to... 
I'm not going to call a check swing a strike unless uh, I'm sure that the guy uh, offered at it. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that I don't make mistakes, but you know, in my mind, watching it in real time, um, yeah, he he went around too far. Uh, so I'm going to call that, and and you know, and I and I made mistakes on that, but um, it's it's also tough too. People don't realize you got a lot of uh, black colored bats, dark colored bats, uh-huh. and then you got and then you've got dark backgrounds because. The fielders want dark backgrounds, and we do too. Uh, so the white ball can come out of it, um, and so it, it, it's it is really tough sometimes to pick up exactly what that dark colored bat did. And these guys are so strong; they'll whip the bat out and bring it back. Um, did he go too far? Did he not? Um, again, I might say, "Well, I'm not sure," so I'm going to say no. But then they show the replay, and he, you know, he came all the way around and whipped it back. He fooled me. Um, and so it's just, it's very difficult. Um, and, you know, I watch some of the games from the, I love watching the MLB network when they'll show games from the sixties or the seventies. Yeah. And it seems like guys went around a little bit further and they never asked for help back then. It just was, if the plate umpire said yes, um, then he went, if he didn't, then he didn't. Um, and now uh, yeah, it seems like, you know, they ask on every, on every time the bat moves, which I don't blame them because if they can get a strike, that, that makes a big difference in the at-bat. So, sure. um, yeah, that's just a difficult call. And, um, you know, again, it, I think. It, speaking about MLB Network, I wanted to ask you this. you got MLB Network, but now you got social media. And I know umpires, um, you guys have rules on social media and all that. Um, but, there's, you know, you also have to have some restraint, too, because there's, uh, you know, obviously there's comments out there that you look at. And you got to go. I mean, you'd like to answer it because you can answer in a way where you can show them that they're wrong, but obviously you cannot, right? Social media, you kind of have to stay off of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to ignore that. I really do. Um, you know, sometimes friends will send something to go, Hey, look what this guy said. It's like, don't send me that. Right, right. <laughs> don't send me that. I really try to, I try to stay off it as much as I can because there's nothing good comes out of it or, or someone else, uh, someone sent me something, uh, you know, last year and it said, look, this person says something really nice about you. And then there was a couple of guys said something really nice about, and then as you go down the list, it was not so nice. So I'm like, okay, don't read past the second one is what he told me. So, you know, it's, it, and you're right. Sometimes it's like, uh, no, that's not what happened. I want to get out. I want to tell you my story of what really happened, but you can't, you know, you can't, it doesn't, and it did probably wouldn't do any good. And so, you know, the people that know the game, they know the people that know baseball, uh, they, they know the truth. The people that, that you respect, that's that's all I care about. Ted, I know you talked about concentration, and I'm thinking of watching, I, even when I watch a game on TV, the mics are pretty close. I can hear some fans on the television yelling things. Um, now, yeah. if I can hear my television, there, and maybe it's uh, you know only 5,000, 7,000 fans. Now you could really hear certain comments. And I know you said concentration, but you've got to hear some of that stuff. How do you, how do you keep it? I mean, how do you stay focused? I mean, you know, cause you got to hear some of that stuff in, in the, in the background. Is there a way you train yourself to do that? You know, it's funny. It was, all, it was worse in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, I remember being in the Cal league and, and, you know, they're the backstops were, they're about as close to the plate as you are. There's no room back there and you right. can hear everything. And then, or, and the crowds were small. You know, so you could hear one leather lunged guy up there screaming. I remember Nickel Beer Night in Tucson. It was just, it was terrible. I mean, they were just going. And uh, um, in the big leagues, then it was, 
you know, 40,000 people, but it's more of a buzz now. It's the mm. kind of, you, you can't really hear the, and once in a while you hear an individual guy say something and, but you know, you kind of ignore that. And, and uh, eventually he gets tired and stops. Um, sure. And, you know, quite frankly, the guys, the, the, the people that are sitting in the seats right behind you, uh, you know, that's pretty expensive. Those are pretty expensive seats. So yes. I think you got people maybe that are uh, more into the experience than, than yelling at the umpire so much. Um, but it, it is once in a while you'll 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 get a guy that just keeps yelling and and um, you know once in a while you hear a kid say something and that kind of hurts. It's like oh man, come on, don't don't let your kids say that even if they're yelling at the, you know the opposing team. Um, and uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, you're able to block that out once in a while. You know, I'll even say to myself, hey, uh, don't let that guy in your head. Don't, just keep that guy out of your head. Um, and then that usually works pretty well. Uh, sure. Pray for patience. You know, uh, sometimes I'll be like, uh, you know, you, you think about the old WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, um, mm. once in a while, I hear a guy yell, and and, and uh, but they don't really understand the rule, right? Maybe on an infield fly that was dropped or something, and they're just going crazy. And uh, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. You know, it's like they don't. Well, you get got, it, yeah, uh, see, you got a big advantage there, being a minister and understanding <laughs> that you you could forgive quick. Um, you know, the other area, you know, in the old days, you always heard this. I'd love to get your take on it because you caught, um, you were behind the plate, umpire and band of plate on a 300th win for Greg Maddox. I mean, you always heard about Maddox, Glavin, and Schmoltz, especially Glavin, but Maddox too. You know, they always, they always seem to get a little bit more outside the plate than most pitchers. But I got to believe that because of their consistency is the reason they got those calls because they're always around the zone compared to a guy who throws a hundred one way. And all of a sudden he throws a strike and you, you know, it's completely on the other side of the plate. Um, first of all, what was the experience like for that 300 game and to a little bit about the calls do they, you know, these pitchers get because of that good. Well, uh, the Maddox game, I remember um, that was a fun game. It was out in San Francisco, a day game. I remember. Um, and also, you know, Greg was getting a little bit older. And mm -hmm. so even though he was around a couple more years, but you start thinking, and then I remember thinking, gosh, the way baseball is now, this has got to be the last 300 game winner. Sure. Uh, but I think Glavin um, did it after he did. Uh, but that, that was, it was cool to be a part of history. You know, it's like how many guys get out here to uh, be able to work a 300th win. And, um, you know, you talk about them saying that they, they got such, uh, you know, big plates, um, I do know this, when I worked Greg Maddox, especially in his prime, you know, I was in the American League, so I didn't really get to experience those Braves teams as much. But, uh, you know, we came together in 2000, so I was able to call Greg a few times. And, you know, he would come out and just have that pinpoint control. So he'd throw a pitch on the corner, he'd call it a strike. He'd go a little bit off the plate, you know, he would call it a strike. He was testing to see how far he could go. He'd go even farther out. You'd call it a ball. Well, he'd bring it back to that spot where you called it a strike, and he would stay there all day. Amazing. And, um, yeah, and he was just – he was that pinpoint with it. And it was amazing because it wasn't that hard, right? So you're thinking – someone watches it today, they think, how do you get anybody out? But it was that pinpoint control. And, um, you know, if he's thrown two inches off the plate and the umpire was calling it two inches off the plate, he would live there all day. Um you know, and, and the zone has changed since I came up. It used to be, um, you know, we, if the catcher set up, uh, and he hit his spot, um, the, the pitcher would get rewarded. Um, and because, uh, you know, 
you're trying to call a 3D zone in your head, right? There's no lines on the on like the TV box has. And so you just try to call, uh, establish a zone and then stay consistent with it and call both ways for both teams. And that's really uh, what we did back then. And, and, and it's how a young umpire got respect. Um, now with the technology, you know, it's changed a little bit where we have to stay within the confines of the strike zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we can't reward a pitcher for being two inches off the plate hitting this spot. Um, it's just the mentality of the game. Another thing is when I first came up, uh, you know, they, people say, well, you don't call the high strike. Well, the pitchers didn't want it above the belt. The, the pitching coach didn't want it above the belt. The hitter did, right, because he's going to hit it a long way. So you, sure. they throw a pitch a few inches above the belt that was probably a, technically a rule book strike, but nobody was, nobody was upset about that being called a ball because they didn't want it there anyway. Um, you know, it's that one at the hollow of the knee, rule book strike, that they really wanted you to call and stay with and be consistent with because that's the way they can make their living. Yeah, so, you yeah, know, things, it, things have changed. And it's got to be tough when a catcher sets outside, right? And you got, say, 100 mile an hour fastball, 95. But yet that he, he might throw a strike, but it's in the inside corner. So here you are set up for the outside. He throws it all the way across the plate. Can you make that call as long as you know it's a strike? Or is it, it's got to be a tough call when it's coming 100 miles an hour. Yeah, you know, it, if it's in the zone, it's a strike. You know, that's another thing that's kind of changed. Because years ago, it was like, well, he missed a spot. So, you know, you can't really reward him for that. But now it's, you know, it's turned into, hey, a strike's a strike. A ball's a ball. Uh, even though the catcher had to reach across. But, yeah, those are pitches that if you're not really concentrating, you might miss. Because mm-hmm. you've got, uh, you know, you might see uh, the catcher reach his arm completely and extended it. And immediately in your head, you, you're thinking, okay, that's, that's a ball. That's outside the zone. But if you stay with it and track it and – um, you know, despite the fact that the catcher had to reach, it was in the zone. I mean, you got to call that a strike. And if you don't, you're going to, uh, you're going to be wrong. And, uh, you know, we get graded. One thing that drives me crazy is people say umpires aren't accountable. Um, you know, there's no accountability. Well, that's, that's nothing could be further from the truth because every pitch we call, every play we call, every situation we have, it's all evaluated. Uh, we're graded on it. Um, you know, they base postseason assignments off it. Um, you know, all these things, we're, we're, we're just as accountable as the players uh, for everything that happens on the field. Ted, talk about no-hitters. You're caught no-hitters, uh, three perfect games, and it says here, only you're the only umpire in history behind the plate for two perfect games. I mean, unbelievable, two perfect games, let alone one, let alone a no-hitter. Um, did you know that as it gets later in the game, did you know it was a no-hitter? Um, or you guys even pay attention to that? Well, you know, with, uh, with, with David Cohn's game, uh, 1999, I remember it was the, after three innings, uh, we pulled the tarp for a rain delay. Jim Evans was a crew chief, pulled the tarp, uh, pretty good downpour. And usually what happens is the pitcher doesn't come back out, right? So I was joking in the locker room. I said, oh, man, it's too bad he had a perfect game going. Um, in the third inning. Cone, yeah, for three innings, yeah. And then he comes back out uh, when we resumed. And um, – but I'd kind of forgot about that. I remember looking up and around the eighth inning and uh, no runs, no hits, no errors. But I couldn't, you know, you get you get locked into a game. Um, and I couldn't remember, was there a walk and a double play? I'm, you know, and I'm, okay, he's facing the minimum. 
but and you don't want to ask anybody right because you don't want to right, right. the jinx <laughs> and things like that so i kind of sit back and the pop-up to end the game uh brocious brings it in Girardi runs out hugs cone we walk off the field and i'm okay i knew it was a no hitter because i could look up and see the zero and i, I asked yeah. the crew I, I said was that a perfect game and they said yeah yeah it was now fast forward to 2012 and about the fifth inning, the way Kane was throwing, uh, I mean, he was just, he had everything going that night, hitting spots, uh, his pitches. Um, he's another guy who was a location guy. He didn't necessarily throw really hard, but he, he could he could hit his spots. And on this night uh, in Candlestick, it was a night game. And I, about the fifth inning, I knew it was a perfect game. And, um, yeah, so walking off the field, when he got that final out, the ground ball, third baseman fields throws them out. I knew that was a perfect game. So sometimes, uh, yeah. And other times, you know, I've had, uh, someone gets a base hit in the eighth and you look up and you go, Oh, wow. He had a no hitter going. I, I didn't even realize that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, with the cone one, some people said, how did you not know it was a perfect game? Well, again, I could see the scoreboard right. said no hits, but I could, you know, you, you get locked into the game and, and, um, you know, that was a fun game too, because there's a lot of tough plays. Um, every perfect game, uh, the Giants won Melky Cabrera. I remember a ball that he ran down, um, Snyder, the catcher for the Astros. He hit a bomb that I thought would have been up in that big glove out there in San Francisco. And somehow the wind just held it up and, and the ball lands in the center fielder's glove. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of divine intervention going on there too. And, um, and then I'll tell you another, uh, a fun game that wasn't really, uh, so much, um, covered by the media because it kind of went by the wayside after Cohen's I'm sorry after Matt Cain's perfect game in 2012 a couple of years later I'm in San Francisco and I'm working first base and Buster Posey's playing first base and he said hey did you work this out I said what do you mean he goes you're gonna have the plate tomorrow I said yeah he goes it's Kane's uh last game he's retiring I had no idea and uh wow. so yeah I got I got back there behind the plate and and uh he ends up throwing five shutout innings and yeah, he walks off the mound and obviously he was emotional. And um, that was kind of fun to think, Hey, a few years ago, we stood there and had perfect game with me back there. And now a few years later, uh, it's his last, last time saddling up and, and throwing. And uh, so that Absolutely. was, that was kind of cool to be a part of that. You know, I got to wonder, is it easier to know you have a perfect game going or not to know as far as, umpiring making those calls would you rather know or not know because i would think if you knew no hitter like you said you look at the scoreboard but if you knew it was a perfect game going i would think the pressure mounts um and it could it could change mentally some of your decisions even if you don't make but if you don't know at least you're calling it is as it is right regular game yeah so you know really you should uh in theory it's like every pitch uh You've got to concentrate. Um, yeah, so I'd almost rather not know because yeah, I'm going to call it. I'm not, I want, it's, but like I talked about, when I did know it was a no-hitter in Cone's case and, and a perfect game in Kane's case, it was just kept telling myself, concentrate, concentrate, yeah. one pitch at a time, you know, call a ball a ball, call a strike a strike. You know, these are things I'm telling myself. Uh, you, know, you don't want to be part of the story. Uh, you, you talk about pressure because – you don't want to call a uh, ball four on a pitch that was a strike. Oh, you cost them the perfect game. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, you know, you don't want to go too far and call a, a strike on a pitch off the plate. It's like, well, 
look, you, he got help from the umpire there. And then, you know, the talk about working first base, there's a lot of pressure, especially before replay. I mean, we look at Jim Joyce at first base with Armando Galarraga and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, two outs, there's a ground ball and, and, and Jim, great umpire, as you know, uh, one of the best of all time. And, you know, he was just trying to get the play right, concentrate, uh, boom, misses the call. Thank God now we would be able to go to New York and get, get that corrected. Um, yes. So it, 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 it's, it's, it's pressure. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, too, because it's no different than a player, you know. And it's, a, it's sad that, you know, a great umpire like him, you know, you remember him for that one call. No different than a player like Bill Buckner makes a mistake on a ground ball and it's, he cost the World Series. Really? Um, yeah. Come on. Um, you know, so sometimes I wonder. The, the other part of this you, you mentioned, you're telling me umpires are superstitious? Got to give me some of those. What kind of superstitions you guys have? Yeah, well, well, first you're right on the on the part of like Bill Buckner, great hitter, um, one of my heroes growing up. And you know, you bring up his name, and everybody thinks about that one play. You think yeah. Don Dankinger. Don Dankinger. Yep, was that's who I was great, thinking of. Yeah, one of the great umpires of all time. You know, it's the you know the one game playoff with uh, Yankees and Red Sox. Don Dankinger's back yep. there. You know the um, you know uh, the game seven of the Twins Braves, right? With Smoltz and uh, Morris. I mean, one of the great pitching duels of all time. Don Dankinger's back there behind the plate. The, the, uh, the Mel Pep is still talking about. Remember the perfect game he threw? Um, I think he blamed the home plate umpire on a call on a on a call that he should have had a perfect game. You know, I mean, I yeah, need to get and, over uh, all that. Right, and that's Bruce Freming. Um, yeah, which is it's funny because I love that story. And Bruce, one of the great characters of the game, when and uh, for us, a lot of guys my age, he was one of our mentors, but, uh, you know, they, they came to Bruce after the game. They said, you, you know, you called ball four, you could have been, uh, and I forget how many perfect games were at the time, say 15. Um, but they said, you know, Bruce, you could have been the, the, the 16th umpire to have a perfect game. And he said, Hey, name one of the other 15. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a, So, you know, and Bruce, he, he wanted to get the call right. And, and, and by all accounts did get the call right, but I know milk, uh, you know, would would disagree if he was on here, but uh, yeah. Well, and I can then, name other- I can name I can name one guy that had three perfect games as an umpire, right? <laughs> and, and 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 the two perfect games. Excuse me, yeah, that behind the plate, which is incredible. Yeah. But I'm sorry, go ahead. You were saying. No, no, you had a second part of that question. You were talking about um, uh, the. Uh, yeah. Sorry, we went. <laughs> I took yeah, it in a different if, direction. But- no, no. It, it, sometimes I do that because I'll have two questions and. In one, um, you know, more, more. I was talking about the superstition. You know, I was wondering oh, yeah. about the umpires. You know, what kind of superstition you have? I know, like coaches. You know, we won't, we won't walk on the on the chalk line when we go across yeah. the line and all that. Yeah, we're just like uh, players in that. You know, it's 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 a culture. It's part of the game, um, and and some guys take it a little more seriously than others. You know, you watch them. For me, I I, I don't believe in superstitions. You know, I believe, uh, you know. I believe God's up there in control of everything, but I, I do say this, I am a person of routine. Um, and, you know, I'll, as I get dressed to go out and work a game, I'll put, you know, my, my plate shoes on and then my, you know, my pants, my shin guards, all certain order. And some people say, well, are you superstitious? I say, no, because I'll forget something yeah. uh, as I get dressed. <laughs> and you've umpired, you've known this. The worst feeling would be you got there behind home plate and not have a cup. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember. Forget uh, your I clicker. Was, How about if you forget your clicker? I've done that. You know, I have to decide. It's an indicator. Indicator, Pete. We don't call it a click. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> indicator, the, sorry. 
I've sent the low man back. Uh, I remember uh, Lance Parksdale, who's I've had the pleasure of working with for years, and uh, he was a fill-in guy. We were in Toronto one day, and I forgot my uh, indicator, and I sent him back up, and it was kind of a long run to the Toronto uh, umpire's dressing room. He comes back to me. I go, hey, I forgot my pen, too. He turns around and runs back. So the rest of the time he was with us, he made sure when I was working the plate, okay, now, Chief, you got your brush? You got your indicator? You got your – because he didn't want to turn around and run back. Sure. I, I remember I was with Tim Timmons. Uh, first time I was a crew chief in the LCS, we had the, the Cubs and the Mets. Tim was working the plate, you know, great veteran umpire. And he was going out there and he gets to home plate. He said, I forgot my shin guards. Well, City wow. Field, yeah, City Field's a terrible place to forget your shin guards. You, uh, so uh, we had to, we, we sent a runner back there to try to get the clubhouse guy to bring him out. And, um, Tim went one way to the locker room. The clubhouse guy came out with him, and then Tim came back. It was kind of like uh, Keystone Cops. I was giving him such a hard time. I said, how do you forget your shin guards? <laughs> well, a few years later, um, I'm working a game in, in D.C., just a late April game, and I go out there behind the plate, and, and uh, you know, the catcher's catching, says, hey, how you doing? I get down on my stance. I'm like, I forgot my shin guards. Oh, I said, I'll wow. be right back. Well, thank God we were in D.C. where the locker room was pretty much right behind the plate. I was able to run, throw them on, come back, and uh, be ready before they threw the ball down. So, wow. um, not superstition, but but I will get dressed in a certain order so I don't forget anything and, and uh, have sure. to go back because, you know, we have, uh, you know, that, that's going to co- probably cost you a fine um, just among the crew. We have fun kind of fine each other for doing stupid things and um, that would have been a pretty hefty one. So, uh, hey, there's luckily, gotta, there's, there's gotta be a time and all these games you've done in your, in your career, there's gotta be a time where you're not sure the count. Now I get it. You can look at the scoreboard, but I know as a manager, I don't always trust the scoreboard either. Cause that guy's sleeping sometimes. Um, what do you do when you don't know if, if, if you think the count is wrong, you just ask that another umpire. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, again, you're concentrating, you're locked in. Nine times out of 10, the scoreboard's right. But even in the big league, sometimes the scoreboard's wrong. And, you know, some, I'll tell you what I've done. And, and uh, I'll just, I'll ask the catcher and I'll ask the hitter. I'll go, oh, yeah. hey, you know, I'll go, is it 2-2 two, two or 3-2? Two? I got 2-2. Two, two. Right. And then the catcher will, and, I, and, and I'll tell him, don't lie to me. <laughs> you know, don't lie to me. So, That's right. You know, because some, sometimes. But if you ask them both, if you ask them both, you're going to, yeah. if you get two different calls, now you know something's up. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, but a lot of times, you know, and, the, and here's the tough thing, too. It's sometimes on the bases, you try to concentrate, help the guy, you know, we'll kind of do signal each other. It's two, two, three, two. Um, but then you go to replay, uh, and I've had to do this once, and it's embarrassing. You go to replay, say, hey, I, I lost the count. And then they have to, in the replay room, they have to go back to the start of the app. Oh. So it takes a while for them wow. to rewind it. And then you come, so I tell the catcher, you know, it's like, hey, Two, two, or three, two, and tell me the truth because you know we're going to get it right eventually. Yep. So don't don't lie to me. That's great <laughs> and then stuff. Say, no, it's three, two, but you know, and you and that's a time too. You can kind of have fun with it, um, sure. you know, with the catcher and and uh, you know joke a little bit and um, hey, you know, I, I don't lie. It's like okay. Um, yeah, because you, you know, think about it. Look at all the times you have to know the count on every pitch. I mean, you talk about concentration, yeah. making sure, and sometimes even with the indicator you might hit it wrong, right? You might click it twice by accident, didn't realize it, right? And all of a sudden you look at the count, it could be wrong. Is there any yeah. signs you can tell us about that you can actually tell that you're allowed to 
any signs you guys use as umpires to kind of communicate uh, so people don't know what's going on? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, uh, we have a little sign that we, we flash each other if we're unsure of the count. And then we'll, you know, we'll give the count. Um, you know, and that's another thing. If someone goes to a game, a major league game, and, and I know you're there to watch the players, the great players that are out there, but maybe take a in, half inning or an inning and just watch the crew. Because if you watch the four of us, there's a lot of interaction. Uh, we'll signal before a pitch. Okay, if a mm -hmm. ball's hit, if I'm the plate umpire, I'll say, hey, one out. We'll remind each other the outs. The base hit, I'm going to go to third base. And then, uh, you know, the third base umpire will say, um, I'm coming across. We've, we're verbally uh, given signs. The second base umpire will signal that, you know, he's back and he's going out on the fly ball. Um, all kind of things that we're, we're um, Jim Evans used to say, uh, an umpire is the worst thing that happened to an umpire is surprise. So we want to prepare ourselves just like a shortstop's thinking, okay, ground ball here. I'm, I'm going to go to hard hit ball. I'm going home. You know, uh, we want to, we talk to ourselves like that too. And it's a way to remind each other, Hey, one out bases loaded infield fly um, two outs uh, we'll point to our wrist possibility of a time play um, all kinds of things. Just so we have, we're heads up and we're ready to go because yeah, every night it's, we're out there, um, you know, 140 some games a year. And we want to make sure that, uh, we don't just fall into the routine that we expect the unexpected. Uh, we'll remind each, remind each other, um, you know, uh, um, situations, what to do on ground balls. Uh, and we'll talk between innings too. A little heads up. Hey, remember this guy, uh, this is a left-hander. Sometimes he box, he steps too far. You know, we'll, we want to be heads up. We want something to happen and us be surprised by it. So yeah, love to hear that. How about the time play for our fans out there? What does that mean? Time play. Oh, so time play. Yeah. Well, uh, if you've got, um, say you've got uh, two outs and a guy at first base, uh, you, you see a ball hitting the gap, right? It's really exciting. Uh, the guy from first, he's going to come all the way around, try to score. Uh, the batter runner says it's a catcher, a slower guy. Uh, he's trying to stretch it into a double or a fast guy trying to stretch it into a triple. Uh, if the ball comes in and the tag's applied and uh, the batter runner is out before the runner can cross the home plate, no run's going to score. Um, if the guy touches the plate before the tag's made on the, uh, on the batter runner, um, then the run's going to score. And that's, you know, these guys are so fast, as you know, we really, we try to line up and, and do the best we can to see uh, if the run scored before the outs made. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, th the other thing about that too, is that's reviewable. Um, if, uh, if, if we're not sure we make the call, we can go to replay and, and get help with that. But, uh, you know, that's, and for the young, uh, young kids watching there, that's why you always run hard. I know you coaches are telling them that, but, um, you know, with two outs and you're going to score, uh, turn on the afterburners because you want to get there before the guy is tagged. Hey, Ted, you got to, you got to tell me umpires, you mentioned superstitious. Come on. What, what, a, I know, I know we don't like the, as managers and coaches, we don't like to step on the chalk line, all that. What kind of superstitions are we talking about with umpires? Well, you know, yeah, we're just like the players. It's part of baseball culture, right? So, um, yeah, we, we, we've got some guys are more superstitious than others. Uh, a lot of our pregame routine, you know, with me, I'm not really so much into superstition, but I am into routine. You know, it's uh, I want to make sure that I'm uh, getting dressed in a certain order. Some people look at me and go, what? Why are you superstitious? You put on your shin guards and your pants and your shoes. So like, no, I'm not superstitious. I don't just don't want to leave anything. Uh, I've gone out on the field and I forgot a cup, you know, which can be a nightmare. I forgot shin guards. Uh, I just want to make sure that 
I get dressed in a certain order just so I don't leave things. And also, you know, I'm kind of like, uh, it's the way I prep, uh, way I start getting mentally ready and locked in. You know, there's a difference between going out and working the bases. Um, yeah, you want to go out and, and, and um, work hard and have a great game. But working the plate, there's just that, that little bit of different prep that you've got to uh, make sure that you're mentally locked in before you walk out there, you know, because you want to be perfect from the first pitch. Yeah, speaking about preparation, it's got to be things you guys do prior to a game. You know, you guys, when you meet in the in the locker room, are there things you prepare for? I know you you, you got to prepare the baseballs, I believe, but is there anything else you do, you know, stretching or anything like that that you get to get ready for the ball game? Yeah, it's definitely part of the routine. Definitely stretching, especially as I get older. Yeah, uh, I want to get stretched out. Sometimes guys need heat or ice. You know, we're like the players; we get bumps or bruises during the season, and we've got to work through them. You know, we don't, we don't get, we don't get to sit out a game uh, because we've got a, you know, a sore muscle. Um, we've got a, whatever's hurting. We've got to get it right and get ready to get out there. Um, and then we also, we like, we like to relax. You know, we like to eat a light meal. So we get out there. Cause you know, a lot of times people are eating dinner, but we're getting ready to go to work. Oh yeah. Uh, we don't want to eat a big heavy meal. So we have a night, we have a bigger meal at lunch and then a lighter meal at dinner before we get out there. And uh, we want to make sure you know, one question I get a lot is, when do you go to the bathroom? You know, because we're standing out there for four or five hours. So we want to make sure we get that out of the way before we walk out there, you know. And again, for as we get older, sometimes that happens a couple times uh, during the game. I have to sneak off into the dugout, but uh, get back before the TV breaks over. Um, sometimes uh, we, we, we try to, uh, we, a lot of crews will play cards uh, and just kind of relax, and but also get our minds start working and um but it's good fellowship too. It's good hangout time as we get ready to go out there and get to work. Yeah, I was thinking about the bathroom, seven hours and 20 minutes. I'm sure you had to go sometime during that time. And on top of it, it's a perfect mm. game possibly going on or no hitter. Um, you know, you've had some great, we talked about some great highlights in your career. It's been exceptional. Um, I did want to mention, you know, you umpired with your son. That had to be a thrill. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was, uh, you know, spring training game, which, over there in Mesa with the Cubs, that's always a fun game anyway because uh, Cub fans get out there and pack it out. And uh, for him, he went out there and worked home plate and did a great job. That was the uh, proud dad moment uh, sure. to watch him work. And yeah, he's uh, he's a nice, he's a he's a great kid. He's a humble kid. And um, yeah, that, that's a memory I'll treasure. Well, you know, and also at that same time, I want to give a shout out to Tony Randazzo, um, and I bring that up because he was on that crew with you. Tony's the Chicago kid. I worked for his dad at the Italian American, the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame. His dad just passed away not too long ago. Um, yeah. So rest in peace, Mr. Randazzo. Uh, and I bring yeah. up Tony, and I'll tell you why, because he's had some injuries, and I know other umpires have had injuries. It, you know, it, it's not just umpiring, but now we're also, you know, there's a, there's a safety issue here, too, because there are a lot of injuries that can occur from foul tips, from broken bats. Um, talk a little bit about that area. Yeah, Tony, Tony and I came up together, you know, we uh, went to umpire school uh, together and then we, we um, worked the fall league together. And, you know, Tony's a tough guy too. done some boxing. His brother was a great boxer yeah. and, uh, you know, Tony got in there and sparred. And so he's not, he, he's a tough guy, uh, but he's, you know, he's gotten foul tips uh, to the head with concussions. He's had neck problems. He's had back problems all as a result of getting out there and umpiring. We've had, um, you know, a lot of good umpires have to cut their career short. Dale Scott had to retire because of mm -hmm. uh, constant lingering concussion issues. So, yeah, we're, we're there. This is a dangerous job. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you're going to get hit. The baseball's going to find you. 
Um, you know, we put the we put the gear on the chest protector, the shin guards, the masks. Um, but there's bones get hit, get bones get broken. Um, sure. You know, yeah. When you when you walk out there, you're in harm's way. Uh, and you're also and, trying to change the gear eventually, right? Every year, I mean, they're trying to evolving the gear to make it better. Yeah, we're they really they're trying to come up with are the helmets better, the hockey style helmet for uh, mm -hmm. getting hit. Um, different pads, uh, the concussion pads, the type of pads the military uses. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. we're just always trying to find better protection. You see some guys like uh, John Tumpain, Chicago guy, he'll be out there wearing yep. the helmet. Uh, doesn't want to get hit with a backswing and, and, and get it in the head. So he'll wear a helmet under the mask. Uh, yeah, we're always just trying to find the best protection, but also what's, what's going to give us the best vision too. So we don't want to, we want to make sure that we can still see. Uh, you know, I think the old timers wore the balloon. Yes. Uh, that was good protection, uh, covered a lot of their the arms and things like that. But it was tough to run and move and be mobile like we're like we are now. Ted, your time has been fantastic. I really appreciate it, man. Um, I do not want to finish the episode without discussing your ministry, because uh, I'm kind of curious when you got into it, why you got into it and also what you're doing, because you've taken uh, off air. We talked about Cuba and the trips you've taken to Cuba, uh, but I'm sure you've done a lot more than just that. Talk to our audience about why you got into it and how it's affected your life and how it's affected my number one fan, Beverly. My wife uh, asked the question about how it kind of evolves with baseball, how it helps you with baseball. Yeah, well, uh, great question. Thanks for asking that. Uh, yeah, so we, um, when, when I got to the in minor leagues, going through the minor leagues, you know, uh, and a guy like Tony Randazzo as well, that the church is very important, but it's hard on Sundays. Uh, having one o'clock games, getting to church, uh, you know, and we're, we don't have a home game like the teams do. So every three days we're moving to another city. So it's really hard to have a church, you know, a, a player might play for safe place for the Cubs. So half the year he's got a, a you know, home church he can get to, um, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have that advantage. And so uh, baseball chapel is a great group, but they, in, in UPIs of the ministry that uh, ministers toward the players, they're ex professional players that minister to the players, but, there was really nothing for umpires. Um, and so in 2003, uh, Rob Drake and I had gone to a, a Bible study retreat with some players. And it was kind of awkward, you know, like we talked before. Sure. We don't mix uh, and we don't have we don't want that hint of impropriety either. So we said, let's let's try to do one ourselves for umpires. So we sent out some emails and we didn't know who would show up, uh, but a few guys showed. And then every year we've gotten bigger and bigger. So we just did our 19th annual Bible study retreat. CFC wow. is the main name of the ministry calling for Christ, uh, which is kind of a catchy play on words. And um, so it's uh, it's been fun to watch uh, that ministry grow. We do Bible studies uh, during spring training. We meet for breakfast. Uh, we do prayer calls throughout the week, uh, big league call one day a week, minor league call another day a week. And we just it's a community. So where it helps in, uh, in umpiring, as your wife asked, is that you know keeps us connected because the four of us travel around to the different cities and you can really get isolated. Uh, but this keeps us connected by technology, by phone. Um, we'll have a Bible study group where we get together on zoom. Like you and I are talking, we can see mm -hmm. each other and we can, um, you know, take a specific book and study through it. And, uh, it just, yeah, it keeps us together, uh, keeps us in community and, um, you know, on the field, it helps us with, uh, uh, all the things we talked about. Sure. Uh, all the problems I've, I've, I've overcome, uh, you know, God's helped me overcome, um, 
cussing on the field, you know, which is tough to do in baseball. Uh, yeah, I, I need that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we all do, right? I've had anger issues. I still fight. I need that, that but, one too. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's uh, right as men, we all need that. And um, anger is not good in our job because you don't want to be angry out there umpiring. You know, you want to keep a calm, level head when everybody else is kind of, you know, you'll say during a brawl, everybody's upset. We have to be the ones that keep the level head. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and keep things separated. Um, but for me too, another great thing is helping younger guys, uh, helping them, the young guys that come to the big leagues, we're going to help them not make the same mistakes that we did. You know, mm-hmm. we've got older guys that have uh, overcome, um, you know, alcohol problems. They're going to help a younger guy through that. Uh, all kinds of other types of, you know, problems that men have on the road. We're going to make sure that the young guys are, uh, you know, they don't have to go down that road. The great thing about uh, umpiring is when you make a mistake, you learn from it. Uh, I joke about uh, as umpires, you know, it's a high divorce rate because being on the road and, and, and yeah. it's hard on a marriage. But our second marriages are strong and solid. That's because we learn from our mistakes. Sure. And uh, luckily, my first wife has, has put up with all this and uh, and she stuck around. So I didn't have to make that mistake. But we're going to help the young guys out, too. And I think that just makes for uh, it makes for a better crew, makes it adhesive. And then the international part, which you and I right. were talking about, and I know you've mm-hmm. traveled all over and you know this, baseball is the international language, like we said. And so where there's baseball being played, which is all over the world, they need umpiring. So we're, we've been able to go to Germany. We've been able to go to different countries, Cuba, um, you know, Japan, and we go in and we teach umpiring, but then we can share the gospel too. And that's what's uh-huh. important to us. I'm amazed by Cuba, what's going on in the churches. You've seen that. They can mm-hmm. only meet with 25 people. So as soon as they get 26, they start another church, home churches, um, and, and they love their baseball. So uh, we can go down there. We've worked with their umpires and um, been able to share the gospel with them, too. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's been a passion of mine, um, and I'll continue to do that, I'm sure, after uh, I'm done with Major League Baseball. I hope I can still travel and uh, teach baseball and share the word and give hope to people. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I'll give a shout out to my wife. Because of my wife, we've been on a few mission trips um, mm. you know, around, the, around the world. And, you know, I encourage people to, if you can do a mission trip somewhere, do it. And, and keep in mind that I always thought when you went on a mission trip, you're going to help people. Well, it's kind of the reverse. You get there, you're, you're trying to help, but now you're really, they're helping you understand what it's, you know, what it's like to have that tough life. Um, and they're not really looking at it as a tough life. They're, you know, they're yep. getting through it. They're having fun. They're trying to be positive. And it really uplifts you because you know how much you have here in the U.S. or, or other countries. We're, we're, we're so fortunate and all that. So I think the mission trips actually help us by going on them. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head, man. The first time I went, I said, I'm going to go over and help these people. Right. And I came back. I came back changed by them. And, uh, you know, you get into these third world countries that, um, you know, they, they don't have anything and yet they're so happy. Yeah. And I come home, I've got everything. Like, I've, I've literally got everything, uh, that I need and want. And, you know, we're all miserable over, <laughs> but over there, they've got nothing. And, and, you know, they go to church on Sunday. And if you're like me, you know, I go and, and I hope the pastor doesn't go too long. Cause I want to get out of there and go eat and play football. They don't want to leave. It's the highlight of their week. They want, they want to, um, uh, stay there and you know they're they're worshiping and they're and they're having fellowship and you know they'll go four or five hours uh because they don't want it to end and i wish we could be more like that over over here 
Absolutely. And I'll, I'll finish it with this. I remember being in Cuba and I know it's happened in other countries, um, you know, and friends of ours invited us over to dinner. I'm like, you know, they can't afford meals for themselves, but yet they'll go out of the way to invite you to a meal at dinner, which you know they can't afford. Um, and there's mm. always that indication. You're always thinking in the back of your mind, do you offer something, you know, like some money to help them? Uh, or do you just, you know, let them do their thing? Because, you know, if you offer money, I mean, are you insulting them by doing right. that? Because, you know, so, I yeah. mean, it's just amazing the things that go on when, when you're in another country and how nice people are and they don't have anything. It's so humbling. You're right, because, you know, they're, they're taking food literally out of their children's mouth because mm -hmm. they want to feed you and you feel terrible. But, you know, then you, you realize that they're you're blessing them because because they're you're allowing them to bless you. Uh, yep. They don't have much, but what they have, they want to offer you. And uh, I get so humbled when I come home, I'm like, I, I can't believe uh, how nice and genuine and, and accepting and open these people are, you know, I'm sitting there. Uh, I don't want to be bothered. And when the phone rings or, or somebody rings the doorbell, I'm like, let's get rid of them. So I get back to do what I want to do. And they, you know, you go ring their doorbell and they want to bring you in. And, and, you know, and, and I know you've heard this, right. When you leave, I remember leaving Mexico and, and every one of them say, Hey, when you come here next time, you stay with me, you don't stay in a hotel. Right. You know, your house is my house. You know, it's Mikasa Mikasa. And, yeah. and they mean that. And it's and they would get mad if you go back and you don't stay with them. I've done that right. in, uh, in Mexico. They're like, you said you were going to stay with me. And, and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I, you know, I didn't want to put you out, but they, you know, they just want to bless you. And anyway, you, you know, you get that. And you're right. Uh, people that travel and people that um, go to different countries and go on mission trips it is the best thing uh, that can happen to you. And if you can help them out in the process, that's even better. Well, I got a feeling, and we'll end it with this, Ted, you've been great. I got a feeling that after your umpiring career, um, I'm sure you will expand on your mission trips around the world because uh, I think we need that more up. We need to get encourage more people to do it. Um, can't thank you enough, man, buddy. You've been, you've been fantastic. As always with our guests, man, I always take them longer than I tell them we're going to be on. <laughs> Um, and they're always uh, willing to help out. But I think this has been a great show. And thank you, and God bless you, man. God bless you, brother. And hey, we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do a trip together. Absolutely. We'll go, uh, you you teach baseball, I'll teach umpiring, and, and we'll go have fun because, uh, like I said, I know you get it. And and uh, you know, one of the, the the greatest trip that my wife and I have been on is Israel. And uh, so uh, maybe we should go over there together, and we can. We can uh, teach some baseball. How cool would that be? We're in, man. And I remember, and I'm glad you brought it up because, folks, when, you know, it's funny how whether the game of baseball, any sport, once you get there, I remember we did some things with kids for baseball, you know, and man, does it bring everybody together. It, it opens those barriers up right away, you know, where maybe, the, you know, maybe the it may not happen without, it may take a little longer without the sport part in it, but with sports, it opens it up right away, the barrier. Yeah, and baseball, it doesn't matter. Religion, politics, uh, yep. yeah, it doesn't matter. You get out there yep. and you talk baseball and it, it's, it brings everybody together, and I love that. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm in, so let's do it. I'm ready to go whenever you are, so can't look forward to it, man. Um, again, have a great new year. I'm gonna, well, hopefully we get back in baseball pretty soon here, and uh, I just want to wish you a great season also. Thank you, brother. I hope to see you in spring training. We'll uh, hopefully we get it started on time and or, or the world going. baseball classic. You never know. Yep. Let's do that again. That'll be fun. Uh, see, see what country we go to next.
Absolutely. All right, folks, that's Todd Baird. Thank you very much. And I'm Pete Caliendo. Hey, I want to wish everybody a happy new year. Hopefully you had a great Christmas with your family and friends. And don't forget, continue to listen to us on Baseball Outside the Box, ESPN, Honolulu, also YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. We're all on the social media. And I want to thank everybody in the U.S. and around the world for spreading the show. Special thanks to Brian Crock, our producer with the Line of Media Group. Hey, remember, stay healthy, be safe, God bless you, and we'll see you on the next show. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm.